Hey guys, DJ here. This is a disclaimer. Applied Materials is a 100% non-profit, fan-made project set within the Orpheus Protocol game system. The Orpheus Protocol is an actual play podcast and tabletop role-playing game system created by Rob Stith and published by Varkalak Press. If you'd like to know more, please check out the main podcast at www.orpheusprotocol.com and patreon.com slash orpheusprotocol if you'd like to show more support for the main podcast. Thank you for your time, and please enjoy the following episode. Welcome to Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. My name is DJ and I will be your host for tonight. On the cast list for our journey into the unknown, Pinky as Robbie, Ross as James Castillo, Seth as Oro Eldridge. Tonight's episode, Brown Hats and Bullwhips, Part 3. Brown Hats and Bullwhips contains violence, ancient history and secrets of the past and future. Consider this your warning. Previously on Applied Materials, the team exits the cavern and heads towards the city. Once there, exploration beckons. As they comb the city and learn its language, one thought is at the fore of all of their minds. Who were these people and what were they doing here? So, I would like to know where the group of you want to set up shop for the night. Mostly to figure out mostly to rest and prepare for the morning's journey i say either go to the hospital or go to the closest residential area to find maybe a i'm thinking residential yeah a more defensible position in case i don't know snake zombies (laughs) snake zombies Well, yeah, Oro, uh, I would suggest, yeah, we maybe go to East, I guess, uh, to number six, which is really close by then. Depending on how the town hall building looks as far as uh, rooms that definitely can be closed off in some way, we haven't seen any people, but there have been, we've seen lots of animals in the jungle we could potentially be seen as food to any animals here whether it's staying in the town hall going over to the hospital which we haven't checked out yet and we wouldn't uh, or the residential areas my concern would be finding somewhere that has walls and doors and a ceiling that where the doors can be closed um, and we can be relatively safe for the night. That's why I'm thinking residential, because there'll be smaller buildings with less chance of lots of things being inside them. That sounds fine to me. We'll go over and help grab what other extra crap we need to move. If there's any stuff we set down while we're exploring and onwards. All right. You didn't really put down stakes in the town halls, so all of your kit is still on your person as you make your way over to these residential areas. There isn't any of these like magical lamp things still, is there? That's lighting up. 
There are, actually. As you emerge from the town hall building and go down that huge flight of stairs that leads into the town square, as you go down this flight of stairs and into the town square again, you can see that the sun is starting to set. And almost as if on cue, a whole bunch of these blue lights just illuminate in and around the town square, as well as mounted on these buildings. You can see that since you're in the town square, some of these lights are closer to you. They are the same blue flames that you saw in the cavern. And they appear to be torches mounted on top of essentially tall lampposts. They are encased in some sort of cage made out of stone and some sort of crystal that appears to be amplifying the light, brightening the surrounding area. And you can see that these quote-unquote torches are not only arranged in very regular spots in and along the street, they are also mounted on the sides of buildings and in front of doors, stuff like that. It bathes the area in a gentle pale blue glow. And it does remind you of a city's power grid turning on street lamps at night, like an automated system. Well, that's useful. I would be slightly concerned about it attracting attention, but, uh, well, I don't know whose attention we'd be attracting, because there doesn't really seem to be anyone else here. But I don't want to be too careful about that. As the six of you make your way to the residential areas, you can see that these buildings are, once again, carved out of stone. And they appear to also be reinforced by some sort of mud or stucco. The buildings run the gamut of sizes and shapes. Some of these buildings appear to have been constructed at different periods of time, with the way that some of them are more consumed by nature than others. And some of them are closer in style to the town hall buildings or the library that you pass by. But they are, for the most part, squat, rectangular structures. They appear to be similar to apartments or, in the case of the Americans here, something like motel rooms, but more spaced out. And big enough to accommodate families or, at the very least, two or more people. But the thing that catches your eye the most is in the light of these blue torches, you can see that almost all of these buildings, their exterior walls have been very beautifully decorated. It brings to mind the murals that you saw carved into the cavern wall that you left earlier in the day, except that instead of it telling a story, these are just murals of beautiful things, different kinds of scenes that don't seem to tell any sort of specific story. But they are all very decorated, and you imagine at some point they must have also been colored, but all of that color has probably been washed away with time and rain. So what's left is a whole bunch of these squat stone structures with carved murals in their walls. And you can see that some of the vines that grow up at these walls are sunken, are growing within these tiny little carvings made for these murals. So some of the little vines and creepers 
are in the shape of these murals. As the group of you are walking towards this group of structures, they don't appear to be very uniformly spaced out. It appears as if buildings here were sort of constructed haphazardly without any sort of proper pre-planning, which means they're not arrayed in any sort of grid or uniformly spaced out, stuff like that. Holly taps your shoulder, James, and then she points over your shoulder and says, uh, what, what about that one? And you can see that she's pointing to a structure near the corner of this residential area. It is a squat, one-story structure, single door, two windows, and it appears to be big enough to house the lot of you. I see this, uh, and I, I look over to Holly real quick, and I say, good eye. I think that looks like the uh, best option right now. Uh, even though the street lamps have come on, it's still now like getting to the point of full dark outside, and I'm going to uh, stop making my way towards that one building there that Holly's pointed out. Do the windows have, um, like, you know, the, the, the wooden slats over them? Whatever wooden constructions would have adorned these windows and doors, it has probably long since rotted away and been lost to nature. Do we have... Uh, I'm going to turn around to, to the group and say, do, do we have anything with us that we could barricade windows with? Or should we go and grab something before we go in? Uh, Oro shakes his head. I I just have what's on me, but uh, perhaps I can take a look around. Um, I would like you to make either a security check with your cognition or a craft check with your dexterity. If the party wants to fashion barricades out of nearby materials to board up this house. I'll roll a dexterity check to just help with that, because I got a bunch of physical strain. I don't got any mental strain left today. Same. <laughs> I can attempt to help. <laughs> Ooh, I got three pluses. Uh, I, got, I got a seven without spending any strain. I will punt the one strain I can into it, because why the heck not? Like, Oro has that, like, whole ambiance. It's like, physical work. <laughs> He's just like, ah, oh, I can lift things. He's like... <laughs> no, I can do this. Because I make things. Such as fucking... Sally. Sally, yes. Okay, um, let's do this. Uh, dexterity. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, there's two. Plus... Dexterity, which is three, so that brings you to a five. Um, and I, <laughs> I actually have a little bit of physical strain left. Um, so I'll dump everything that I can into it, which will take me to an eight. All right. So since the both of you rolled an eight, the two of you cooperate with Bob and Holly as you go about scrounging around for materials in the surrounding area. You can see that close to the edge of this residential district, there appears to be a small patch of forest, and you gather some fallen tree branches and even 
utilize some loose pieces of stone from other houses to construct a makeshift barricade out of sheets of stone, tree branches, and vines. You also gather firewood because it is starting to get pretty chilly out here. And as the group of you settle down for the night, I would like to know what is everyone's wariness. I don't have a, I don't think I have a high enough to act control, but I'll add some strain to it. Um, and I also have my, still the same day, technically. I still have my werewolf senses activated, so I think that does something. I get a plus two to empathy. I can't active roll, though, so never mind. Um, okay. I will put, why not? We'll put two strain into it. I'll make my weariness a four because I'm weirded out by this freaking place where lights are turning on and it, everyone's what? <laughs> like... right, so my my weariness is normally a three. What rank did you say empathy had to be at for me to Three or higher. Ah, oh, damn it, it's a two. <laughs> oh, well. I'm going to use... Uh... Awareness and empathy being the same rank for me, I'm going to use uh, empathy so that I can use the spiritual strain instead of the mental, and uh, I can boost that to a five. You can spend strain on it, Pinky. As long as you have ranks in empathy or awareness, you can spend the associated strain on it to boost your stat. Oh, so I can spend strain. Right, okay. You can spend up to three. Well, then I will. That'll be mental strain there. So, um, yeah, I'm going to boost my awareness up to six. So all three of you notice that Craig has been standing in a corner of this dwelling for the last 10, 15 minutes. In fact, ever since you stepped in here, he hasn't moved. He hasn't done anything or said anything since... You started building up those barricades, and even when you finished, and now that there is a campfire in the center of this dwelling, he has just been standing facing a wall in the a in a corner of this dwelling. And he seems a little off. The big man is sort of standing there, arms by his side, not really shifting his weight so much as he is he appears to be contemplating something. Something definitely is on the big man's mind. I'd noticed this earlier that he, uh, there's something up now that we're here in this place that seems to have been built and inhabited by people that are now the kind of people he is. Sneeple. I'm going to go over not immediately, but after a little bit, you know, leave him to his own thoughts, give him his space. And I'm going to say to him, thinking about a bunch of stuff again here. He sort of snaps out of his little reverie and notices that you're standing next to him. And in your mind, you hear him say, yeah, yeah, it's strange. This, this place feels like home. Even more so than when I was in that cavern. Like, if we'd been here a little sooner, I don't know. Maybe I would have stayed. 
but it feels so empty, so lonely out here. It's like I came back from a tour of duty only to find that my house was empty, you know? I'm not sure exactly. I don't know the full extent of what's happened and how you've changed and... I strongly feel like part of it is you're you, but the new you. But since we've ended up here, the new part of you has these feelings and maybe even almost memories linked to this place, this city even, or a city like it. And that it can't be easy. I don't know if we're a hundred or a thousand years too late for this city to be bustling and lively. But between your ability to understand things around here now and my ability to sort of read everything, I want to, before we leave here, I want us to understand what's going on. I need to understand, and I hope that you'll have a better, deeper, better understanding of it as well. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, this is a beautiful place. I can't imagine what the people that lived here must have felt knowing that one day they would be leaving. Or at least that's what we saw back in that cavern. What was that war they fought? Who are those strange things? What happened to this place? If I didn't know any better, I'd say that it was people from, you know, our Earth, our world, dimension, reality. It's a mess. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone at some point of us had found their way here. Maybe. It's still too early to draw conclusions, though. I, I still don't fully understand that first mural in the cave. And I'm not 100% on, did the people who lived here come from here to our world first? Or did they come from our world to here as an escape from whatever battles were being waged shown in that mural? I'm still, I, I want to figure out what is the actual timeline of events here yeah me too you know we passed by that library earlier maybe we can go there in the morning see if there's any historical records left behind definitely i was hoping for more of that in the town hall but you're right the library is the next best bet for that probably a better choice you don't see it on his face, but you can tell that he would be smiling as he says, Well, I don't think there would be any records of why these people left in a place where normally we would store bureaucratic documents. I mean, ordinances and stuff, sure, but <laughs> I don't think the uh, people of this land would have put a reason why they were leaving here unless it was some sort of public announcement by their governor or mayor or whatever. Maybe. Or maybe we just weren't looking hard enough. Before we 
continue on, I, you're right, I'll, I'll give, uh, we all can do a secondary sweep of the town hall and see if there's anything we missed. But the library will probably have a lot more of what we need to know. He nods and says, yeah, yeah, well, that is a problem for tomorrow, I suppose. I uh, don't know about you, but I'm not feeling too hungry. And, well, as you can see, and he gestures with one of his hands to his mouthless face, I can't exactly put food in here, now can I? Which begs the other question of, well, how did these people eat? Did they even eat at all? So I was about to say, like, um, uh, I, I, can I be listening to this? Because I do have a question about that very thing. Oh, of course. He would have definitely been broadcasting this into all of your heads. Okay. So I, um, I'm going to uh, in, interrupt with, um, at, at this point because... It's like, yeah, I, I do actually have a question about that because I have noticed they have farmland. They have spaces to grow food. They were clearly growing crops. So if these other people were like you, why were they growing crops? He looks at you, Robbie, and he says, You know, that's a very good question. I think maybe this was some sort of upgrade, downgrade, sidegrade, evolutionary, I suppose. And I, I don't know, Robbie, but... You're right. If there are farms here, that means these people must have been able to grow their own sustenance and have been able to consume it after, right? So the fact that I don't have a mouth means that they probably became like this after they lost the need to eat or something? I don't know. It's, I can feel smoke starting to exit my, my head. Maybe... They're growing the food for someone else. That also could be true. Holly pipes up and she says, Yeah, we've been seeing a lot of statues of that giant snake around this place. You'd think that maybe, I don't know, they might be growing something for like a sacrifice or like an offering or something. I mean, that's what I think. It could be. It could be that maybe they're trading food for something. Protection. If that was the case, they'd still be here. Maybe they're trading it for other goods? Well, we could guess all about these all night, I think. Um, I'm going to start to lay down a little bit, try to get some shut-eye. Uh, feel free to keep talking. My brain is just spinning. Yeah, I think it's better if we all get some rest, says Craig. I can keep watch. I, uh, I don't feel like sleeping at the moment. And he walks out the door, and out a few moments later, you can hear him hop up onto the roof of the structure. <laughs> so the group of you settle in for the night. You are revitalized and fed by MREs that you brought in your packs. It's not exactly good food, but it is food, and food is nutrients. The night passes uneventfully, and as you awaken the next day to the faint smell of smoke and the charred remains of your campfire in the center of the dwelling, 
the air is cool. There appears to be a very light fog outside. You can see that the illuminated blue torches still glow faintly through this very light fog. And it is the start of a new day. It feels a little strange to have spent a day in an alien landscape, but you suppose that it is pretty similar to camping, except instead of being out in your native hometown wilderness, you are really somewhere else. In terms of game mechanics, you have had eight hours of rest, which means all of you can refresh two physical and one mental strain. That lonely little mental strain. <laughs> all right. It's the start of a new day. What do you want to do? Uh, I would like to explore the hospital. And then after that, uh, the library. And we haven't ventured too far from the center of the town at that point. Not yet, at least. The so hospital is just south of town hall. And the library is to the west. All right. So you go about making your way across town towards the hospital. As you approach this structure, it appears a lot more Spartan in appearance. You compare it to the buildings of the town hall. Let me say it again. You compare it to the design of the town hall structure and the library. The town hall and the library are a lot more ornate very decorative with all these pillars, designs, and other statues around them. This building appears to be a lot more Spartan. Other than several murals carved on the walls, there don't appear to be a lot of decorative structures on the outside of this building. It is also a kind of squat, rectangular stone structure, but it is about the same height as the town hall, so about three stories high. But the most the most striking feature about this building is its entrance. It is a large double door, kind of reminiscent of a regular hospital lobby, but an archway surrounds this doorframe. And anchored to the sides of the archway are two statues of a slender tree trunk-like rod and a serpent coil and a snake coiling its way around this central pillar. It reminds you of the Greek rod of Asclepius, specifically its use as a representation of modern medicine. Oro, especially for you, this symbol being here is very strange and out of place for you because you know that the rod of Asclepius, especially with its connotations of a big symbol of any worldwide emergency medical service, this is Greek. What's it doing here? I think that's what Oro says. Like, this is Greek. What the hell is it doing here? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much that, Ross. Craig looks at this whole thing and goes, I, what am I looking at here, Oro? Greek. God, Asclepius. Um, I forget the whole story off the top of my head. That's mostly Seth. Um, <laughs> but uh, doctors, they, they, this is 
like the symbol like they use to represent like like every ambulance every hospital like they have this like symbol involved in like proving their ethos their credibility it's odd for it to be here because everything we've seen so far is south american very inca influenced which is you know snakes are on every continent but the way this is designed is as far as i remember unique to the grecian people holly says well i mean yesterday night we were talking about whether or not these people left this place like or came here as a form of escape i don't know i mean looking at this and she gestures to the statues kind of feels like they left here way before we were a thing on earth like humanity at least it kind of feels that way to me you're saying this is what a hundred thousand plus years old easy his eyes just go wide and he's just like it would certainly explain why a modern or at least modern in our terms symbol is in a strange place that no one has ever been to before well um cool i guess uh, he pulls out his notebook and jots a couple of notes down his brain hasn't got had enough time for him to fully like <laughs> download everything yet I've seen some very strange things over the last couple of years, so, yeah. No, don't say anything else. I just turn around and look at Craig. Craig looks at you, shrugs as well, and he says, Well, I mean, there probably will be answers inside, right? Or at the very least, we'll figure out how these people ran their medical system. Shall we go in? I would like the three of you now to make a a collaborative investigation check with your cognition, please. Woo. That's a flat. I'm going to take my reroll. That is also a flat. I can put three straight. I'll put the three straight and it get to a six. Uh, actually, no. Um, instead of the strain first, I'm going to tick my uh, motivation. Uh, preserve the past, preserve the present, especially I feel it's appropriate now that we're getting into the at what point in the history of humans or the planet Earth itself is there the uh, crossover with this place and these people and that actually makes that motivation my core motivation <laughs> I'm gonna take my principle too. Follow your heart to the truth. <laughs> I got a plus two on the dice there, and I will, you know, uh, I will throw in the three strain as well and get that to an eight. I will spend one strain and also get an eight with my motivation. Um, I am going to um, uh, activate my bond with uh, my colleague, Mandy. Um, who I worked with quite some time ago, because uh, this going going into here brings back memories of 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 working with them and and how one of the very few people that I actually created an actual human friendship bond with 
because I don't do that very often. And it was one of the first people that I worked with, and we worked together for quite a long time. And now I can't work with them. And it makes me kind of sad. But yes, can't work with them anymore because now I'm doing weird things. And I can't tell them anything about it. I mean, that's not difficult, but you know. Ooh, three! Yay! So my cognition is four, five, six, seven. Uh, and this is metal, isn't it? Yes. I'm going to throw two into that. Take that to a nine. Oh, nice. With Robbie in the lead and both James and Oro getting eight, the cumulative check is bumped up by a plus two, which rounds it out to an 11. So with an 11, the six of you split up to investigate the hospital. And by the looks of it, this hospital appears to have been organized much in the same way as a regular hospital in the modern-day world. It seems to be split up into wards, and each ward has cubicles of beds. These beds are obviously constructed out of stone, and also, unfortunately, they don't have wheels, not like our modern hospital beds. You do find traces of organic material, things like rotting wood, vines plant overgrowth, some forms of fabric that have rotted away and left little traces behind in places that can't be quickly reached by nature or weather. It appears that this civilization had access to very primitive processed fabrics, things like woven wool, as well as animal skins to have been used as clothing. Not only that, but their system of medicine appears to be pretty similar to modern-day medicine because you find a lot of documents in the same style that you found in the town hall. Big a 4 size sheets of very thin stone that have these same pictographs carved into them. You also find more of these, and you also find more of these intricately carved scale chisels that you know were used as writing materials in the town hall. It appears they kept detailed medical records for any patients that might have been here. And the general complaint of patients being admitted here seems to either be illnesses contracted out in the wild or injuries sustained from having to deal with the local wildlife. But there isn't much more than that. So I don't find a box full of antidotes for snake venom or anything like that. It appears that whatever medical supplies that might have been in this hospital were probably taken away somewhere. As the group of yous wander around this hospital, I suppose one of you stumbles upon a storage closet of some kind that has a lot of shelves carved into it, made out of stone. And you can find imprints in the dust of rectangular things that might look like crates or boxes, stuff like that, that were that used to adorn these shelves and then were taken away a long time ago. And so the dust has settled in a shape reminiscent of the base of a box or a crate. And the group of you find these bits of evidence all over the hospital. It appears that whatever happened to this civilization full of people They had the sense to pick up everything in here that was essential to their survival. Things like 
medical supplies, medicine, bandages, that sort of deal, and taken it out of the hospital. And they also somehow didn't bring along medical documents? You're not quite sure why. It's it's strange that they would take supplies, but they wouldn't take things that they had recorded that would help them treat their ill in case any infections came back. So they didn't leave in a complete rush? Doesn't appear to be, no. They had time to pick up things, but then they also didn't take their records with them. They didn't take the records from the town hall. That's odd. Both seeming to have the time uh, when leaving this town to take things that were deemed necessary, but also leaving things that we would potentially consider necessary. Hmm. So either they didn't need them anymore, or they didn't care about them anymore. Or they took everything that was deemed more necessary, even if some things were still something that should be brought with. Yeah, so they were limited maybe on carry space, so they figured maybe they could duplicate the records, but they can't. Hmm. Where are you discussing this? Wherever I'm standing. So it is there, I suppose, in front of a the entrance to another ward structure that you also find Craig walking up towards you, holding another stone-bound sheaf of these carved stone that act like papyrus. And he says, Well, um, whatever the new me is doing, it's helping me translate these better and better. Kind of feels like they left all of this important stuff behind, like medical records. I've got... I'm looking at all of these things and it's treatment histories. Stuff like the application of tinctures, bandages impregnated with some sort of herbal mixture. They don't refer to it by composition or anything that resembles like a medical name, but it's like bandages impregnated with some sort of healing substance for physical injuries, stuff like that. I'm seeing a lot of this around. Why did they not take these with them wherever they went? We were just discussing that. You were? Oh, um, well, <laughs> I was probably out of earshot. Did you find anything else? Um, a, a lot of empty cupboards. They took the supplies with them, but none of the... Re- we, found, we found records, and we found a lot of empty cupboards. So they took all of their shit with them, but they didn't take any of their paperwork? One pair of his arms crosses as he rubs the back of his head with a third hand and... <laughs> He muses to y'all. I don't understand. Why would they leave all of their documents here? I don't know. It's unless they were, unless they weren't planning to come back. Well, I mean, I suppose that much is clear. They never came back, or at least not here. So we're just trying to figure out why, why, why would you leave everything? Well, why would you leave all your records behind? Why would you not? need or want to take them and another thing i've just thought of had they potentially already for want of a better word evolved into their next form i don't know maybe i mean whatever happened it seemed that they probably didn't intend to come back here to get all this you know it doesn't look like it they left so much of the infrastructure behind and he only took perishables 
do you feel like somebody that could remember everything you've ever read? Um, not particularly, no. And you can see his eyebrows sort of furrow together as he is no doubt trying to do exactly what you said and try to remember literally everything he's ever learned and read ever. And after a few moments, he sort of shakes his head and he says, well, it's been a real blur. I mean, I can remember my tours of duty. I can recall how we got here, but it's not like I have a photographic memory. So they would still need a way to keep records. Yeah, that makes sense. But then, of course, that still begs the question, why did they leave all of this behind? Exactly. Maybe they found a way to record it in an easier way. Maybe. I mean, who knows? They might have graduated to paper or something by the time they left. Yeah. I mean, it would make sense. He holds up the little booklet he has in one of his hands. They, re they were using these real thin sheets of stone. It almost kind of feels like, you know, papyrus or something like that, right? Yes. Yeah. And these weird, like, chisel things I've been seeing all over the place. It kind of feels like one step away from graduating into ink, right? I mean, it's amazing how thin they get these. There must have been some amazing craftsman. Or whatever they used to carve these things of stone, they must have been real sharp, I think. Do we have any sort of magnifying glass? Like, Why don't you roll me a luck check, Oro? That's a flat. A thought comes to your head that you could use the magnification on your camera phone. Okay. And that's what Oro will do. He's going to try to magnify on the stone papyrus to see, like, are there obvious chisel marks for, like, like obvious, any sort of, like, tool marks to make these? Or were these, like, all cut in one go? Like, like how, what was the exact process to make them this thin? You know, did they cut them like bread? You know, I don't know. You use your camera, you use the camera on your phone to get a closer look. It's not exactly a magnifying glass, but it'll do. There appear to be obvious tool marks on the edges of these sheets of paper-like stone. They don't fold or bend like paper. They're still rigid and, well, stone-like. But they're just cut so thin, and the edges are dulled, definitely by hand, so as not to cut the fingers of anyone that's holding them. And you can tell that the way these tool marks are inconsistent, it definitely means that each and every one of these little sheets of stone were made by hand. How long does Oro think it takes to make one of these by hand? Why don't you roll me a knowledge anthropology roll with your cognition? Ooh, I'll uh, we'll try the re-roll, why not? Ooh, that's much better. Uh, I will I'll spend my last mental strength. <laughs> one you got from the eight hours of sleep. <laughs> so, uh, I, got a, I got a five. You would think that a skilled craftsman able to carve a sheet of stone like this, it would probably take them five to six minutes to carve out a small piece of rock like this out of a much larger sheet to trim it down to size and then sand the edges. It feels like this process would have been easy, but very repetitive. And so you figure the same way that some of these early civilizations you've studied make their earthenware or stoneware, 
that this would have probably taken not a whole lot of time for a skilled craftsman in a civilization like this. But obviously, like, there was probably tradesmen that this is what they focused on. Like, there would need to be, like, dozens, if not hundreds of people that this is what they do every day is just make these things. Yes, definitely. Okay. Just the Oro just kind of explains that, like, the enormity of the society, like, they have they had enough to devote people to crafting these records, right? Like they had all these people and yet they leave them behind, even though they devoted so much manpower to just have these records in existence. Like Oro's just confused, you know, the amount of time and effort that they would just, that they wasted literally. Like he's just, that's what it feels like to him. It's just like, other than like us coming here and like seeing the evidence of it, it's just like, like we gained something from it, but like, why did they, what was more important to them to throw this away? That's his question. Craig says, I mean, well, I suppose that means whatever happened, they still left in a hurry, but not in a hurry enough to not take precious supplies with them. Like I, well, like I said earlier, maybe wherever they were going, they didn't need these. Seems like such a waste. They developed an art form. Almost. Yeah, they did. Oro's now in the process in his notebook of like trying to reverse engineer and sketch out like the process it took to make these. So like it's you know maybe he could recreate it eventually, just because that's just where his brain works. I don't know that anthropologist side of him. He just wants to figure out how they did it to give some importance to what they left behind. But he will shuffle behind the others as they continue to investigate other parts of the hospital. Eventually, enough time goes by that the six of you reconvene outside the doors of the hospital. It has gone from early morning to midday. You've spent the better part of the morning in the hospital looking around, gathering information. And this is what you came up with. The fact that this civilization probably left here in a rush, but not so much in a rush they did that they would abandon precious medical supplies. The next item on your list, however, is the library, big and ornate and sitting just opposite you in the main square. As the group of you make your way across the town square, you approach the library. It is a slightly squat structure, about two stories tall, raised up on a platform of steps that do remind you of Again, your very typical Mesoamerican ziggurats or towers. Lots and lots of steps. The structure itself is U-shaped with a very clear demarcation of the two wings of the building. They are connected together in the center by a slightly smaller structure. And that is where you can find that there are doors. Everywhere else, there are nothing but windows. The outside of the building is decorated in pillars that seem to have once been painted in a mixture of blue and white pigment. But almost all of this has been weathered away by nature down to the bare stone beneath. There are places at the bottoms of some of these pillars where you can find fragments of this dried pigment. But otherwise, most if not all of it has been washed away by time. The library building itself seems to be decorated with a lot of very peaceful looking imagery along its walls on the outside. Floating clouds, rivers, waterfalls. There appears to be some mountain ranges as well, valleys, forests. There are also one or two murals of 
more snake people, very stylized in your typical Mesoamerican style. They look like they appear to be tilling or plowing fields of some sort of grain or other crop. And like the pillars, a lot of the paint that a lot of the paint or pigments that has been used on these murals has long since been weathered away, and you can only find remnants of such in places like the creases of some of these carvings or deep recesses where it is very hard for Mother Nature or weather to reach these places. You said there are lots of windows, so is there like lots of overgrowth and stuff as well, like through the openings? And... Oh yeah, the building is very much overgrown. Vines and creepers everywhere, weaving their way through the windows along the walls. And on top of this building, you can even see some forms of plant life, like bushes or even one or two trees on the roof. It's very peaceful. Staring at this building evokes a sort of calm. I love libraries. Or I'll just goes to the door, and if he has to use any, he just tries to open the door. I will follow, assuming that the door opens. The doors do, in fact, open. This close you can actually tell that some of these murals contain extremely fine detail in their design by way of precious gemstones embedded in the stonework that appear to represent things like eyes or, in the case of a giant mural of a river on one side of the library wall that you can see on the outside, represents the twinkling, flowing water of the river. Just a sheer amount of these bright blue gemstones adorn the surface of this mural. But of course, vines and other plant growth have long since obscured most of it. You can make out little flashes of reflected light every now and then, and that's kind of how you tell that there is something there now that you know what to look for. The amount of time it takes to lay those. These, these were artists, these people. Each, every one of them. They devoted their time to the minute things, it seems. I, 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 on the way out, I'll look more at the murals. Let's, let's go inside first and see. <laughs> His eyes go wide. Using your investigation check from earlier, the group of you once again split up to explore the library. As it turns out, more of the same evidence that you found in the hospital lies within this library. The shelves, most of which are constructed out of carefully carved stone, are adorned wall to wall with sheaves and sheaves and booklets upon booklets upon books of these, well, books. With Craig's help, you are able to translate a few of these random books, and they appear to be, well, a myriad of stories. You're not sure whether these are fiction or non-fiction, but they appear to tell different kinds of stories. As the six of you search the shelves and peruse some of these volumes, obviously using Craig as a translator, I think... James, you eventually end up in a section of the library that details the history of this place. As you call Craig over to help you translate one of these volumes of books, he reads through a few of the pages and then looks at you and says, Okay, James, I think this is an actual history of this 
well, city. Um, some of these pages say uh, something about uh, harvest being like normal for this time of year. Not too much, not too little. Whatever mention of a year on this volume, I don't think it's here. I think it might be on the cover, but I don't know which one of these pictographs is supposed to be a date or a, like of like a month or a year or whatever. But it seems like this is a historical record of whatever happened during this period of time in the city. Uh, between my getting used to this particular language and Craig's now more innate ability to understand it as information um <clears throat> would i be able to try and assist him in more more fully figuring out like uh he just said he's not sure which of these uh parts here is the date or a a designation of anything like a date or a span of time would I be able to assist him in trying to figure out more fully what is written there? Of course. I would like you to make a languages check with your cognition then. Goodbye, Strain. I'm going to replace that with a plus two. Uh, eight. It's, it's an eight total with the Strain. So with an eight and with Craig's help, you are able to piece together that the information that you're looking for pertaining to a time of date or a period of time is actually displayed on the front cover. Mm. The front cover appears to read as a chronicle of events. And then there are a set of pictographs that depict a period of time that you sort of guess as about three to four months of earth time hmm. and craig helps you to pour through this volume and it appears to be full of harvest reports news about the city any events that are going on relations with other cities which piques your interest as well as providing a very generalized sort of weather chronicle for the past three to four months. Like, how, ha how has the season progressed? Has there been more rain than normal? Has there been less rain than normal? It's sort of like a combination of newspaper, but also a kind of quarterly journal, but also an almanac. Pretty much, yes. Hmm. That's interesting. Does it mention any of these other cities by name is where my interest would uh, be peaked, like extremely so. There are mentions of other cities by name. Places like Waterfall Pavilion. There are mentions of a rather faraway city near the edge of the forest called, well, ironically, Edge of the Forest. It mentions that there have been more trade routes established between some of these villages and other cities, mm. as well as mentions of their either trading caravans or other merchants, envoys, and their movements across very well thought out roads across this land. 
this volume appears to mention whether or not a caravan leaves this particular city, whether or not they are from this city, where are they going, and by careful estimate, how much time they spent on the road so far, and also an estimate of when they're supposed to be reaching their destination. When it's referring to this particular city, it must, at the, whoever wrote this must at some point have referred to this city by its own name. It matches the name that Craig told you about when you first entered the city. And this city is referred to several times in his volume as Valley of Plenty. Valley of Plenty, that's right. I looked to Craig. Uh, were there any others you have already seen that looked like this? This is only about uh, three, four months, a quarter, a season's worth of news and things happening and here and there well, these towns these cities and um mention of uh commerce uh trade routes uh highways changes between all of this if even if it's just like they were making one of these every three four months a few times a year there's got to be more of them Craig nods and he says, Yeah, um, I found this volume in a set of shells over here. Uh, here, have a look. And he leads you... Let me say it again. Here, have a look. And he leads you over to a rather large set of shelves on the first floor of the library. Again, very featureless, but at the top of the shelf, very typical of a library, you see there's a little sign carved out of stone that reads historical records and he points to a little empty spot on one of the upper shelves and he says uh that's where i pulled this from you think that this entire shelf probably has a record of what happened here i don't know if it'll have a record of why there's no one here but if he pulled that one from the top shelf uh i'm assuming if this is a history uh these would be in a chronological order Whatever the bottom shelf is, I'm going to pull uh, the last one. And I think we should start at, and I'm going to look to see if it even remotely looks like this is the most recent of these journals, these books. You pull the bottommost, furthest volume from the shelf. And with Craig's help, you translate this one. And this one appears to be a record of the city during a time of crisis. Specifically mentioned throughout this volume are things about a war that has been fought and a great tragedy that has occurred. There are mentions of the entire city being in a state of mourning for the next month as preparations are made to either embalm and tomb you're not quite sure what this pictograph means something about preparation of something for either burial or something else some sort of funerary right yes. for some uh i'm looking up at craig they were at war we were right uh some one or something important here was died or was 
killed. There, some kind of funerary rite was being prepared. A, a month of mourning. It, we're going to have to go through a few more of these from the beginning, the middle, and the end to get an idea of what actually happened and how long it took. But we were we were on the right track. These last several probably will give us the best idea of why the city is the way in the state it is now. I'm going to take the last one and the next to last one because, I mean, it's even though it's extremely thinly carved and cut stone, it's still thin sheets of stone. So it's a little heavier than... it. It's several times heavier than a comparably sized book. I'm going to take the the last two and I'm going to say to Craig if you can carry several more of these uh, a few from the end here and then uh, from like the upper two the upper shelves here and there just randomly taking any that catch your eye this I think this is what this is this is a this is a good portion of what we what we were hoping to find here he looks at you, nods, and he says, I can definitely help you carry a few of these. And he, gra- and he grabs a couple of the volumes from the lowest shelf, pretty much near where you grabbed. And he says, so, well, at least we figured out what happened here. The war- there was a big war. And they were preparing to bury something or someone, right? Actually, going through these will have a better idea of what 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 that even means. Maybe we'll figure out why they left, especially since it looks like you're getting closer and closer to quote unquote present day. It's gonna be a long night of reading, I think. It's um, it's it should only be for us, uh. For the group of us, it should only be like maybe because we went through the hospital, maybe like early afternoon, depending on the amount of time we spent. Because we spent several hours searching the hospital. So, say from slightly after sunup to what we would consider early afternoon. So, I look at Craig and I say, it's going to be a long night of reading. I think we should get started soon and we should still look for any other books that are going to be useful he nods at you and says yeah yeah we should meanwhile in the other parts of the library oro you are able to find a spot in the library that includes an atlas or at least what you think is an atlas it is a book that has nothing but carved maps on it the color has long since faded from the pages, but you can see little bits and pieces, flecks of some sort of pigment where you would assume green and blue and stuff would be. Looks kind of like a map, specifically a map of this particular area. The city itself is marked with a little red dot on a corner of this map, and it appears that there are other cities marked with different dots of different colors scattered across this map. Aura will snatch up the probably decently heavy tome book. He'll look through it a little bit, but then he will... I think he'll more than realize by this point, Craig and 
James have a better understanding of the language. So he's going to take the book and then meet them back down there. And then he wants uh, to learn, start to learn the language that these two kind of have a better understanding on so he can help more with this investigation, like just the basic symbols and things like that. So like, you know, they can give him a purpose of like, you find out wherever this symbol is located. And I'll be like, okay. <laughs> Robbie. You have wandered the shelves for a while, and eventually you come across a set of shelves about the local flora, plants, and such, right up your alley. However, like the other books in this place, the pictures have long since lost their color, but the carvings themselves are very intricately detailed, befitting of a textbook or a or an almanac of different kinds of plants, you see that on one side of a page, there will usually be a carving of the plant in question. It's very detailed, takes up the whole page. And then there are little notes here and there on the same page that point out little details that you can't read about the plant. And then the facing page is just pictographs, 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 lots of writing that you don't understand. But the way these books on the shelf are laid out, it brings to mind biology textbooks or encyclopedias of different kinds of plants. I, I've already like, grabbed like, an armful of these books and taken them to somewhere where there's as much light as possible and started drawing copies of them so that I can then get them translated <laughs> by Craig. I have no idea what these plants are, but I want to know. And obviously I can't take them all with me because they're bulky and they're heavy. But if I translate them onto the paper, which is a bit thinner and a bit lighter, then I've got some copies of them. And I don't want to waste the battery on the camera filming them. So I am hand copying them the old fashioned way a piece of paper over the stone and using your pencil and just scribbling away rubbing yeah it. i i will do rubbings of the really detailed drawings and then just a hand copy like the the pictographs and stuff you do that definitely saves you a lot of time in hauling all of these heavy volumes over to where craig is on the other side of the library mm -hmm. but eventually at the end of the day you gather up back at the entrance of the library James, you have definitely gained more insight and on the history of this place, but the volumes that you have still need to be studied. Oro, you have a map of the surrounding area, or at least the surrounding forest, in not good detail. And Robbie, you have a little collection of local plants. You're not quite sure what they do yet, but that is for the studying. By now, the sun is once again beginning to set. And I suppose the group of you return to the house that you have commandeered as your shelter. Yes, and that, now I can spend time actually going through them and studying them and trying to find out what this stuff is. All right. Okay, so who would like to gain knowledge first? Would it be Robbie with their plants or James with the history of this place? I'll go for it. Why don't you roll me a knowledge biology check with your cognition, please? Uh, at least it's not a minus. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. I can re-roll. Uh, oh, 
No, I can't re-roll on a rank three, can I? Uh, at three, you can re-roll once. I can do it. I can re-roll. Yes. Yes. Minus one. No, I'll take the flat. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's use some of my precious mental strain and take that up to a. Let's take it to a six. With Craig's help, you are able to roughly translate the contents of this book. It appears to be an almanac of local plants that grow in the surrounding forests. Specifically, plants that grow on the borders of the plains that the city is built on and the forest. There is a long list of plants that are edible, not edible, whether a certain plant is able to be used medicinally or recreationally, or if it's good to be used as a building material or used as fuel. A myriad of uses covered in this one book. And you are able to isolate a small plant that is used as a sort of medicinal aid. The book goes into a little bit of detail about how healers in the past would have used this small herb as a key component in healing tinctures, potions that their townspeople would have drank in order to either speed up the rate at which physical injuries healed, or it served a purpose as a sort of organic antibiotic that was used to fight infections or illnesses. You are definitely now able to identify this plant if you find it out in the wild. It is a small plant that often grows up the trunks of trees. It is a sort of creeper. And the easiest way to identify it is with small blue flowers that have five petals and a white center. If you find a stretch of those growing up along the trunks of trees, the parts of the plant that are used as medicine are the petals of the flowers. Specifically, they are to be plucked and then ground together with water. Uh, I'm going to tell the group that I, I have good news, that, that I have a way of potentially making medicine, including antibiotics, that what I believe that I do. And I think that I can identify hopefully safe plants for us to eat so that we don't well one we won't starve and we don't have to rely on these delicious nutritious repackaged delights as i hold up one of our lovely <laughs> one of one of our one of our lovely delightful memories it's like mm -hmm, mm. holly is definitely looking at you over the rim of one of these she's got a plastic fork in it chewing and nodding <laughs> the food thing will be a touch of trial and error i will need to do a little bit more research but i have made a start on that it's better than nothing james you settle down as day turns to night with these historical texts and with Craig sitting by your side, you pour over them for the next few hours. And eventually, you find a volume that chronicles the exact event that you're looking for. In a volume that seems less weathered than most of the other ones, you find a mention of an exodus. Whoever wrote this wrote a passage in here that says, 
the valley of plenty does not provide any more. Not since the death of our great god, the serpent father, or some other form of deity name that you can't really convert into English. The passage continues, The townsfolk have gathered everything that we need, and tomorrow is the day that we leave for greener pastures. We will enter the body of our fallen god and use the last of his magic to take us away to somewhere better. Body. That that strange... The voice on the radio, the the one that said there was uh the the way to get back to where where we were is going to be um traveling towards where they are or where they said they are currently or were if they're even actually real and there i'm not sure if because it said they're going to use the last of the magic of their progenitor deity being to teleport or time travel or something. So I'm, I'm making a mental note that where we're heading may be, if it's not the corpse of that being, uh, it's something probably even stranger. It's very difficult to kill a god. As we continue reading, do these journals say any give any information about who they were at war with? You look through a couple more of these journals and eventually find one that appears to have been written during said war. There, within this particular volume, there is more than one mention of these foreign enemy entities that the locals fought against. They are mentioned... There are mentions of that strange dark purple tentacle e being or entity that fought with their snake god while the locals on the ground also fought against these other soldiers. They that appear to be clad in some form of plate armor. The record mentions that the few soldiers that the locals managed to kill appear to have been clad in armor that was made out of some sort of metal. But not metal used in its more primitive state that you've seen in this particular civilization. The record here mentions that the metal used in their armor seems to have been forged by hand and shaped by hand, akin to blacksmiths forming suits of plate mail or chain mail in medieval times and that these other foreign entities were also armed with blades that were made using the same smithing method as the armor this is in stark this is in stark contrast to the more natural materials that the locals used as their armor stuff like very thick tree bark layered with stone very lightweight stone the scales that were mentioned before used as writing implements also served as blades for their weapons. But it appears that this war was fought between the locals who were at one level of technological advancement and these foreign entities who seemingly showed up out of nowhere who were way more advanced than they were. 
the battles that were fought were a losing battle. And towards the end of these entries, throughout a few volumes, you find that the end of the war was a Pyrrhic victory for the locals. They managed to force the foreign entities, soldier enemies away from their lands and also defeated their god or their deities. Not many mentioned specifically what that weird dark purple tentacle entity was, but at the cost of the life of their own god. Specifically, you see a mention that the snake was beheaded after it had his after it had its throat cut and that's how it eventually died and the record even mentions that its head came to rest near the city and james the realization comes to you almost as suddenly as a spark of inspiration the cavern that you were just in was a sort of tubular cavern, right? With a little ziggurat inside mm -hmm. it. Yes. It had a gash on the side that you walked out of. And it led uphill towards an opening that eventually... And it led upwards... And it led uphill towards a plateau that seems to correspond with the shape of, well, the body of a snake that had its head cut and its throat cut. And... As I'm reading all this, I'm relaying it to everyone. Basically, it's just going to be a constant stream of, <clears throat> and if at possible, like all of this, like uh, saved as some uh, on some sort of audio recording device. You could definitely use your phone. So yeah, Oro and Robbie, James relays all of this to you. Yes. Um. And the realization that the cavern we came out of was a special emphasis put on that part that the cavern we came out of wasn't a like geological formation. It was the long ago decapitated skull of some massive godlike snake creature. Which explains, if they'd gone back, if it, it, it makes me think that that's where they left here from, just as that's how we got here at that point, at that spot. And that last big mural there was like probably the last bit of record keeping that they left before they left. So... They built the ziggurat around its body? Uh, within its skull. That The cavern, the mountain, wasn't a mountain. Well, at least it wasn't originally overgrown with vegetation and everything. It's the head of a colossal snake-like being that was worshipped and one of those incredibly powerful entities that we try not to run afoul of, right? Yeah. I think that's where they would have left when they left this city, this world. And if it's dead, it makes sense that you would leave. There where did is, we go? 
No, actually, that's a good, a good question. I don't know. I wasn't sure if they'd come from Earth and come to here, or left here and gone to. I'm, I'm saying to think that it's, it's the latter, and that and they, their civil, these people's civilization here was expansive. It was a scale of like any other long established culture that i know of the fact that there was like one unknown temple in the amazon that is the only evidence that they were physically in one place on earth i think they came from here and after the war with these other people and their other god they left the ones that were left physically left here permanently and ended up in Brazil or yeah, South America would have been the same place on the planet a hundred thousand years ago. They went there and then just disappeared. I, I don't, I don't know the, uh, being able to go over all of the information from the temple in Brazil would have would maybe help us figure that out maybe maybe they died out maybe they were killed off maybe uh even for snake people could have been some disease we don't even know how they reproduced maybe it was just a case of their their population didn't grow fast enough with how many of them were left we're going to need to go all over every piece of information we've gotten, what we haven't been able to look at yet, and everything we can get from here and along the way to wherever it is we're heading. And even then, I don't know if it's entirely unlikely I'll be able to answer that or you'll, anyone will. Uh, I, I was just thinking, I mean, as much as I would like to spend a lot of time here, we should think about getting moving soon maybe we should take some of this with us to research along the way yes um i think this is the second night i think one more day and night here and then dawn after next we should probably start heading to whoever it was that told us they have a way for us to get out of here ourselves that being said, I wanted to, uh, DJ, I wanted to uh, float a weird idea I had. What's up? Seth, you said that uh, Oro feels the need to at least somewhat learn the most basics of this language to be able in like the next day, if we're going to do the last of our searching and trying to find information. Yeah, yeah. I have an idea. So Craig is telepathic. I... My idea was that with the aid of Craig's mental telepathy, I would, and me both invoking my bond with, uh, my, uh, with the McQuedal and giving myself, giving a bit more of myself to it and giving it a bit more control for the time being. But also I was going to, double invoke with both uh my bond to the McQuedal and my principal fate up against your will and a high a hybrid check between knowledge eldritch and languages 
the DV would probably be still fairly fairly high, but to in concert, um, at least temporarily, get Oro like magically, psychically, weirdly Duolingo Oro, <laughs> um, just for like a rank one in this particular language. Sure. Why don't you roll me up that hybrid check and we'll see how well you do. However, I will add the caveat that if you want to go ahead with this, then James and Oro, both of you will not refresh strain because you won't be able to get eight hours of sleep. So that's up to you, Seth. Uh, that's fine. Why not? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Make me that hybrid check then. It'll be between your knowledge, Eldritch, and your languages skill with cognition. Which brings me down to a rank of three. That's a plus one on the dice. It's, uh, so double invoke is the same as core, I believe, still. And core in the new one is 2d3. And then it's one and a four, which is a one and a two. Not great, but that does ring two seven to start. I can sync what strain I can into it to get me to a ten. All right, ten is enough. At the end of this, Oro, you will gain one rank in this language, but you will get that at the cost of not being able to refresh any strain the following morning. The group of you spend the night studying the rest of your materials, learning the language, and trying to catch as much rest as you can. And the next morning, all of you are woken by James's phone ringing. This has been Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. A warm thanks to our players tonight. Pinky for playing Robbie. Ross for playing James. Seth for playing Oro. Be sure to follow the show at Applied Mats on Twitter and we will return in the next episode. Good night. The mysterious caller makes the team hasten their pace, although there is still much to explore within the city. But with home and answers a trek away, the group must bid farewell to the Valley of Plenty. Next time on Brown Hats and Bullwhips Part 4.